Hello, my name is Tim Schwartz and welcome to the Life After Blindness podcast. This week, Pierre from the UK shares his Because of My Blindness story. Then I'll be joined by Girl Gone Blind Maria Johnson to talk about this week's news. Topics include making Little League more accessible, the upcoming Beatball World Series, and a microwave with built-in Amazon Echo technology and a barcode scanner. Then I'll be joined by Sean Priest to discuss his experience being blind and shopping for a new home. And later in the show, I'll share an all-new Tim's Tech Tip segment, or T3 for short. I'll show you how to access parts of Microsoft Seeing AI much more quickly. This is episode number 24, and your Life After Blindness journey continues right now. Hello and welcome to Life After Blindness. This is the podcast where we are dedicated to the exploration of an enabled life with blindness. I'm your host, Tim Schwartz, and I want to thank you so much for joining me once again this week. If you have any questions or comments for me about the show or anything else, you can send your emails to tim at lifeafterblindness.com. And to get the show notes for this episode, you can visit lifeafterblindness.com slash 24. That's lifeafterblindness.com slash 24. I always like to start the show off with a Because of My Blindness story, and this week, the Because of My Blindness story comes to us from Pierre in the UK. Pierre talks about his transition to blindness and the new experiences he's had and how he's had to deal with some of the changes in his life. Hi Tim, my name is Pierre from the UK. Um, I just thought I'd send this as a quick uh, hello, uh, someone who's recently turned blind um, for the because of my blindness part of your podcast. I turned blind um, over the last seven years and I'm now fully blind um, since April this year. Um, It's been a lot of up and downs but um, practically I'll try and keep it on the practical side of things. Um, Some bits are interesting I find. Um, Going out uh, now with a stick uh, can be fun um, when I get the chance to go out. Um, it's a bit like when I was younger. I'm now 40. Um, I used to go scuba diving briefly. Um, and it's a bit like that in that you have to plan your routes and walks. And uh, it's a bit more adventurous than it used to be for me. Um, I'm also really into music. And that's been a, a positive thing in that um, I love uh, music production, listening to music. Um, audio um, more than I used to which is really a a positive thing Um, on the downside you lose control of your life in many ways Uh, I'm used to being in control of my life and now I have to ask a lot for help from people um, and that's tough especially if it's um, people that you're not normally happy to ask help from but you know times beggars can't be choosers so you have to ask for help from people even if you don't like them um so it's it's a lot of up and down but i'm discovering new things um uh your podcast is is new to me um it's something that i'm getting into i've got an ipad which i had when i was partially sighted um and i use that with voiceover function which is great for just simple um basic internet surfing uh youtube videos and things like that um otherwise yeah thanks very much i'll hope to try and listen to more of your podcast your your voice reminds me a bit of a guy i used to listen to on american radio on a show called acoustic accents on the internet uh, from alaska uh, that was a good show around what, early 2000s and yeah i hope to try and learn a bit more about the the tech side of of being blind really and continue on the path i am great thanks very much Pierre, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And if you'd like to share your Because of My Blindness story, you can send your emails to tim at lifeafterblindness.com. You can either write out your story or add an audio file like Pierre did. And if you're on the VoRail app, you can send a private message to me there. Just search my name, Tim Schwartz. And now it's time for the news. (music) 
And joining me for the news this week is someone who's no stranger to longtime listeners of Life After Blindness. She is a group fitness instructor. You also may have heard her occasionally on RNIB Connect Radio and a lot lately here on the Blind Alive podcast with our friend Mel Scott. I'm joined this week for the news by Girl Gone Blind, Maria Johnson. Hello, Maria. Hey, Tim. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for coming on and helping me out with the news this week. I am super excited to be back on. It's been way too long, so I was thrilled to be able to come on and chit-chat about the latest news. Absolutely. Definitely too long. Way, way too long. And and as everybody knows, way too long for me in general. So glad to be back all around. So let's dive into a few stories that uh, we've decided to talk about this week. One of these is a little older, but I thought it was still relevant, especially with the second story we'll talk about, but we'll get to that in a moment. The first story that I wanted to talk with you about comes out of the United States Little League, which I was surprised to find out in this article that I was reading. Little League is the largest group children's organization in the United States, which I I thought that was fascinating just by itself because I didn't realize they were that big. And... They had recently, this this last several years actually, a blind player in Little League. And in regular season games, his local Little League organization was allowing him to use a yellow baseball. Now, the reason I guess for this is because he is low vision, so he's not totally blind, but he was having difficulty picking up the baseball when he was at bat. So when the white ball would come to him at the plate, he couldn't really make it out that well after a while. And I guess he was a pitcher as well. And so when the catcher would throw the ball back to him at the pitcher's mound, he wouldn't see that white ball either. So in regular seasons, they were letting him use this fluorescent yellow ball. And then a great thing happened. His team made it to the little league world series And the powers that be said, no, 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 you can't use that yellow ball in the World Series. And that's where we're going to pick this up because, Maria, that was ridiculous. Now, I will say just briefly, this does have a happy ending, so don't get ahead of me. But what do you think about that? The initial thought that here's this kid for years playing Little League with this special ball so he can participate as a blind player in Little League. And then the league says, oh, well, you're in the World Series now. You can't be accommodated. The, the thought that they could come in and basically take away something that made the game more accessible for him, that allowed him, as someone who was visually impaired, to enjoy, you know, one of the world's greatest sports was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, ridiculous and not even going into the ADA and all of that, which we know, you know, got involved. Um, but, you know, the... The, the, the thing about the yellow ball, and for a lot of folks with a visual impairment who have some low vision, there are certain colors that pop out um, and are brighter than other colors. Um, for myself, it's royal blue. Um, for, for obviously, this uh, young gentleman had albinism. So for whatever reason, this you know, this fluorescent yellow was, was his, you know, good color. And um, they... What my, my first thought was, did they think that he had some huge advantage using a colored ball and that's why they were taking it away? <laughs> right. I mean, they think he was cheating with it or, you know, what? I mean, that's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And how crushing, how crushing it was for the family because they all went to bat for him. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, see what you did there. <laughs> oh, bum, bum, bum. So that he could eventually use the you know fluorescent yellow ball to play a sport that he loved and that he could feel included um in the sport uh, that he loved to play and had played you know for for years 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 like you said um i believe it said the father was a um was a police officer and he said he you know in the end um to try and get the rules changed he treated it like a uh a a case, if you will. And he had, you know, his box of evidence that he presented to, you know, the powers that be the courts on why they should let kids who are visually impaired use these fluorescent yellow balls. And, um, you know, like I said, the happy ending, you know, there is the happy ending, but you know, how crushing for this little boy to be told, yeah, you've made it this far, but now we're not going to let you use the ball. So everyone's on a level playing field. Well, you know, that's just not reality. 
it's just not. No, it's definitely not. And I can relate to this in a way because back when I was starting to lose my vision, I was never really much of a golfer. Not, I mean, I'm a big baseball fan. I love baseball, but I was never much of a golfer, but my father would golf. And so we would go and play golf sometimes, but it was difficult for me to see the white ball. And so I had a couple of different colors. I had a fluorescent yellow or green colorish ball. And I think I had a fluorescent pink ball, which I was proud to use. I didn't care if it was pink. It's like, it makes it where I can see it. So I don't care what color it is. You know, as long as I could see it up against the the grass or, or, you know, wherever I was, that's all I needed. And so I can sympathize and empathize here with this, with this kid and say, you know what, whatever you need to do, it's not an unfair advantage. It's not out of the ordinary or, 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 you know, wrong to ask for this, especially since he had been using this ball, I think for four or five seasons prior to this uh, happening mm-hmm. with the world series. And, and like you said, the father approaches in a very legal kind of way. And if I remember right from the article, they were, I mean, about a step away from getting into the courts and Congress and all this kind of thing, getting involved yeah. and the powers to be at the little league, thankfully came back and said, you know what? No, we don't need to go that far. We don't need to go to court. We get your point. You, you've made your, your uh, case. You've made your case very <laughs> clear. And they ended up, like we both said, the happy ending. They let the boy use the bright yellow fluorescent ball, which was great because like I said at the beginning, he needed this to be at bat so he could see the ball and he needed it as a pitcher. And thankfully he's done this. And now Little League has gone ahead and said, let's take a look at our accessibility rules and, and the things that we do and, and allow this to be utilized whenever kids need it. And what other things can we do to be more accessible to someone with a disability? So it really not only helped this one kid, but ended up being a conversation starter that's going to help a lot of young kids in, in the United States. Oh, yeah, probably in other sports as well. But I mean, Absolutely. think about it this way. There's so many different kinds of bats you know, and they're different colors. They're made out of different materials. I mean, now they're all, you know, super lightweight and aluminum and whatever they make them out of. I'm not that big on baseball, you know, at this point, but you know, it's, everyone doesn't have to use the same bat. So why would everyone have to use the same color ball? So um, again, I think it, it was, they thought, no, 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 we need to keep things even Steven and we, we can't have anything different because um, everyone needs to use the same ball. So um, anyway, like you said, if it, if it gets the um, little league um, to reassess their rules, Hey, you know what? That's a big step in the right direction for inclusion, which, you know, is such a big deal. And everyone talks about that all the time for any sport um, uh, that can be available for anybody. Although there are plenty of adaptive sports, which, you know, kind of leads to the next article we talked about, Tim. It definitely does. Thank you for that wonderful segue, Maria. So yes, the next story I want to talk about is something that's coming up here actually very, very soon. So the timing on this is great. Speaking of baseball, or in this case, Beeper Baseball, the Beeper Baseball World Series is going to be held in, I hope I'm saying this right, Ocala, Wisconsin, and it's going to be held from the 29th of July through the 4th of August, and I believe it's like 20, I might have this wrong, 22 teams, 24 teams, something like that, that will gather in Ocala, and they'll have a tournament-style uh, round of play, and of course it will whittle down to the last two teams to be the Beaver Ball World Series champion. It's such a big event every year with the Beaver Baseball World Series because it really draws a crowd and they get good sponsors and the players are phenomenal in how they play. And it's actually funny because it's different than baseball in this, in the respect that you don't applaud until the play is over. So you don't cheer, you don't yell when the ball is being pitched and being hit and being fielded because of course they need to hear the ball and, and all of that. Uh, the crowd is asked to be silent. And then once the play has concluded, then of course you can cheer and hoot and holler. But I love Beaver baseball. I've played in years past, long, long time ago. I did play a little bit and it was so much fun and adaptive, like you said, to be able to have that experience. If you can't see to do regular baseball anymore, this is such a great way to do it. And the Beat Baseball World Series, they take this seriously. These guys are really, really good. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, to make it to the World Series, you, you know, you have to be good. And I have a handful of friends who have uh, LHON, um, which is the condition I have, labor's hereditary optic neuropathy, who play beat baseball. And uh, they're hardcore. I mean, they're 
they're into it. And a lot of them were athletes before they lost vision and they, you know, still, you know, through the struggle, still want to be, you know, that athlete. They still want to, um, you know, have that in their life. So, you know, um, this one gentleman, uh, he lives in New Jersey and he is on one of the new, there's two teams in New Jersey. He's on the Titans and he used to, he played college football. So then he lost vision and well, now he's super into beatball. It seems like it's a great game and it would be so much fun. And, you know, honestly, you know, I'm here in San Diego, California. We, and we have great weather all year round. We don't have any beat baseball teams that I know of. And if anyone's listening, tell me if you know of one, you know, even close to my area for me to even try to play if I wanted to, um, no, I'm not going to start my own team. So don't, and you know, no one get there, you know, <laughs> don't get any weird ideas, but, um, I think it would be great to try as well as other sports, but this is so great. And what a fun thing to do also is to meet others from around the, the world, you know, who also share the passion of beatball and are blind. You know, there's a big camaraderie there as well. That's absolutely right. That That's a story that you hear out of this series each and every year is not only the camaraderie that you have with your own teammates, just like you do with any sport, but when you bring so many teams together from all around the world, like you said, and they're sharing this experience, sharing the sport that they love. And again, they're all so good at it. I mean, you might go, oh, well, it's beat baseball. How good can they be? No, these guys are good. These, there are players that can hear that ball and snag it out of midair and they can't see the ball at all. So it, yeah. it's very impressive what they do. These guys can, you know, hit home runs really well and they field very well. So it, it's impressive to, you know, to, to experience how they play beat baseball and like you said, to be able to meet people from all around the world within this community, not just in their baseball community, but within the blind and visually impaired community. They have so many things there that they can share with each other and understand with each other. And so I think it's just fantastic. I would love to be able to, to participate in something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, maybe, maybe it'll get to the West coast at some point, you know, and I can try my hand at it. You know, who knows? Um, Hey, I might be the next great girl beatball player. I don't know. So, you know, there you go. Girl <laughs> gone beatball. Absolutely. That would be great. No, I, yeah, it surprises oh. me that there isn't one or if there is again, please email Tim at life Uh, if there is one in the San Diego area, I know we had some in the Cincinnati area for a while. I don't know if we still do, but, uh, yeah, with the weather, you guys have there it's it's surprising that there isn't one if if there isn't so yeah, yeah somebody somebody yeah. needs to get on that now i think so now that being said something that you may not have in your area maria but something that i'm hoping will come to all of us very very soon and that's a product from ge so we're gonna get a little tech here but i really really love the announcement of this tech i mean i love tech anyway you know that but yeah this is fantastic because general electric has announced a new microwave. Then you may say, well, pfft, a new microwave, whatever. I can go get a talking microwave online for you know, $350, $400. Yeah, well, guess what? Stay tuned. Because General Electric is saying, we're going to put out a, a microwave. It's going to have Lady A from your Amazon Echo built in. We'll call her Lady A. So nobody gets set off uh, accidentally. It's going to have her <laughs> built in. So you can talk to her to say, you know, preheat, cook, defrost, what have you. You know, give her the times that you want to do. She'll let you know when it's prepared or if it's time to uh, go ahead and, and swap out something or, or stir it, whatever the situation might be. But then add to that. It's going to have a barcode scanner. So if you have a frozen meal or something like that that you need to prepare in the microwave, you can scan the barcode and it will automatically know the preparation directions and the microwave will take care of that for you. And oh, did I mention this is only going to be about $130 in the United States? Maria. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. I mean, come on. You can't. I mean, that's ridiculous. That price is so low. I think that sounds fantastic. I mean, anything that normally has accessibility built in is always astronomical in the price range. But for $130, stop it. Um, and the fact that has the barcode reader, I'm really excited about that. I mean, my son's got, you know, the A lady, um, the Echo. 
it linked up to so many things in my house. It's almost ridiculous. Like I could never, I don't have to move like for 24 hours a day and I could just tell her to do pretty much everything. But the fact that it has the barcode scanner is so cool because for me, I do have low vision. So I do use a magnifier and I will have to read and find the cook time. You know, do I take it out after two minutes and stir and all that stuff? I have to read that and slowly one word at a time, if I can even find where those directions are on the box. I mean, that alone can take me 10 minutes, if not more. And so now you can just go beep and it will go, you know, five minutes and it will stop at, you know, two and a half so that you stir it or what, however it's going to be set up. Um, That's awesome. It's, you know, I say anything you can bring into your home that is, of course, you know, reasonable as far as cost that can help you manage and make your home less frustrating, then I'm all for it. I'm absolutely all for it. Um, I use the microwave, you know, here and there. Um, I don't do a lot of frozen meals and that kind of thing, but I do know that folks who are um, maybe single a little bit older, you know, sometimes frozen meals are just the easiest thing for them. And if they have a visual impairment, this is going to make it a thousand times easier for them. And I think sometimes, um, folks who are older, if they can't read the directions, they can't figure it out. You know what? They sometimes just don't eat. And we're not going to get into this as a whole topic, but they sometimes just don't eat. So anything that can make something more, like I said, manageable, um, for, anyone, any age, um, Hey, I'm all for it. And GE has been working on appliances. I think we've spoken about this in the past is, you know, refrigerators and all kinds of things, um, that can be more accessible for those with, um, who are blind or low vision. And, um, I'm all in, you know, dear Santa, (laughs) that's absolutely (laughs) right. Dear Santa (laughs) birthday celebration, whatever it is, this is on my wish list. Absolutely. And what's really neat about something like this is it is accessible. We presume it's going to be fully accessible because it does use you know, echo technology and with lady a in there and the barcode scanner, once you know where it is on, on the face of the uh, microwave, you can hold that up and use that. And presumably lady a will read to you that information and, and prepare it all automatically for you. So it is accessible in that way, but it's a mainstream product that just happens to end up being accessible. Just like how popular the Amazon echoes have been in the blindness community because of that fact, it's a mainstream device yeah. That is almost as if it was made for the blind and visually impaired. It's an accident, but it's a happy accident and we'll take it and to have it implemented in things like this. I mean, you see, like you said, refrigerators, washers, dryers, ovens, that's mm-hmm. the future of those types of appliances. Your white goods are going to have Lady A and, and this type of assistant technology in them. And that's going to be great for the blind. Now, the, the manufacturers of things like bump dots are going, no, because it's <laughs> one or two less things that we're going to have dots all over. Because right now my microwave is littered with bump dots on, on all oh, the yeah. important buttons. But, uh, yep. you know, uh, sorry to the bump dot yeah. people, but for this price, because right now I, I looked it up, a talking microwave is going to run you close to $400 just to have a microwave mm. that talks. So yeah. for this price from a mainstream manufacturer with Lady A in there, and the barcode yeah. scanning and everything and what it's going to afford us. I can't wait. Now, I didn't see a release date on this particular product yet. I don't know if you saw anything, Maria, but I didn't see no. if it's out now or going to be coming out soon. But as soon as we get that information, I'll, I'll update everybody and let them know. But to my knowledge, this isn't released just yet, but it should be coming soon. So Black Friday, Christmas, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, hopefully by right, the end of the right. year. But yeah, this is definitely yeah. one to watch. It is. And, you know, on the same note, you know, how, um, you know, it, for those who are blind, visually impaired, it's great. But also for those folks with print disabilities who can't read um, things exactly. and may have dyslexia and things like that. I mean, this goes to a lot of different, you know, um, uh, groups of people who could use this item. So any um, any company that's manufacturing appliances. Anything they can do is going to help not just people who are blind, vision impaired. It's going to help a lot of different folks. And um, and it's just, you know, it's just going to one-up them. You know, Tim, I have one other question about this microwave. Like, how sure. big is it? I'm thinking, is it small? Because I'm thinking $130. You know, how 
is it just this little tiny thing that holds one little lean cuisine or, you know, who knows? So I guess once there's, um, you know, dimensions out and things of that sort, that'll tell us more, but you know, it just seems like the, the, with the price, you know, where's, what's the catch, you know, I don't know why I'm thinking that way, but what's the catch, you know, is it, all I can think of, it's like that, maybe your daughter has one, Tim, it's like that easy bake oven, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it cooks one little thing at a time, but you know, hopefully it's a standard size microwave. I mean, you know, that's what I hope it is. I really hope that it is. And that's a really great point because for that price and the technology that's in it, it probably isn't going to be all that big, but unfortunately they haven't released any dimensions to it yet. But even if they say, okay, well, this is the entry level small one, kind of your small apartment or dorm size microwave, but for say 150 or $200, you can get a fuller size. Okay. That's still better than a talking microwave. That's still as good or better than the last microwave that I purchased in price comparison. So it's still intriguing to me, even at those price points, And I'm very happy to see where this is going to go going forward. And and just a final point on that, to to the point that you made about people with other disabilities, dyslexia and things. I've been involved with uh, the autism community and dyslexia community in the past and have have met with children and, and even young adults that are on the autism spectrum. And something like this, yes, is perfect for blind people. But to your point is really, really good for people that are dyslexic or on the autism spectrum or have Mm -hmm. other learning disabilities or reading print disabilities. So this could be a game changer, not just for the blind, but for a whole lot of people. Yes. Yes, I agree. I agree. Well, Maria, there are so many different things that we could talk about, so many different things going on. But of course, there's only so much time. So if if you could, I, I would love to have you back next week and we talk more about the recent news in the blind community. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm never one to, you know, be shy about coming back on a podcast. So absolutely. <laughs> we'll, we'll, get, we'll get back on and we'll, we'll dig up some more good news stories. And I, I'd love to chat about them with you. That's perfect. Thank you for that. Now, before I let you go, I do want to give you an opportunity because I know you're so involved in so many different things. Anything special going on right now that you want to want to tell people about? Well, you know, I'm always uh, updating my blog and uh, I actually just, you know, revamped it a bit. So it looks a little bit different, but it runs just like it always has. Um, My blog is girlgoneblind.com. And, you know, I've just come off of a lot of conferences. I've been doing a lot of presenting, a lot of moderating of panels. And, um, you know, I've been posting a lot of that uh, lately on my Facebook pages and Twitter. So, you know, just follow along on my Facebook at Girl Gone Blind and you can find me on Twitter at girl underscore gone underscore blind. And, you know, I'm always keeping people in, you know, in the social media world up to date on where's, where's Girl Gone Blind now? You know, what's Maria up to? So (laughs) just, just keep in touch with me and, you know, you'll know, you'll know what I'm up to. Definitely. Very good. Well, I encourage everyone to definitely check out girlgoneblind.com and and definitely see what Maria is up to. And Maria, thank you so much again for coming to the show. We'll talk to you again next week. You're welcome, Tim. Talk to you soon. Joining me once again from the RNIB Tech Talk radio show and podcast, as well as the Double Tap Canada radio show and podcast, and Frequently on the side, the Audio Pizza Podcast. Boy, you're a busy guy, Mr. Priest. I'm joined this week by Sean Priest. Hi, Sean. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Yeah, great to have you back. It's been been a little while. Um, and since the last time we spoke, boy, you have been busy, not just with radio shows and podcasts, but with moving kind of kind of across town and getting out of the, the, the busy city life and getting out into the country and and uh, get into a new house. So I wanted to have you on to talk about that process because from a blind and visually impaired perspective, that's got to be a different kind of experience trying to shop for homes and talk to realtors and and navigate different things. And and so I wanted to have you on to talk about that, that process and what you, uh, what you went through. So kind of, kind of walk me through this process. Oh, well, I mean, I think it's a a lot like what we do as a visually impaired person. Well, I do anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll narrow it down to myself. I tend to overthink things and I was really worried. You know, the first thing, how am I going to do this? This is the first time really I've bought a property and you think, okay, so I've got to go and I've got to look around. There's problem number one. How am I going to get a feel for a house? How am I going to know what it's like? So I was worried about that. Then it's dealing with, uh, yeah, you call them, what do you call them? Realtors. 
over there. Realtors here, right. They're called something else over in the UK, correct? That's right. We call them estate agents. So dealing with the estate agent, you know, that's another problem. And uh, then you've got all the legal things to go through. So, the, you know, just thinking about it, the, the whole process, I was stressed about it, anxious about it, because as I said, like a lot of situations, I will tend to overthink it. But when it actually came to it, the actual experience wasn't that bad. It wasn't as bad as I assumed it would be. Um, the first thing that I did was um, trying to find a app or an online service that I could use that was accessible to actually look for properties that in the area that I wanted, you know, in the price range that I wanted. Um, and I did find one. Uh, actually, quite a lot of them were accessible. The one I used, now I don't know if this is just UK specific, but I used an app called Rightmove. Um, it's, it was on iOS and it was totally accessible. I was so surprised. The accessibility was really good. Not only was the accessibility there, but the usability was really good. I could say what sort of property I was looking for, how many bedrooms, the price range, and then I just put in the area I wanted it in, and it would give me a whole list. That service or app actually sounds very similar to something we have in the U.S. called Zillow, which has a fairly accessible app and website where you can search for homes and properties and things. So so very similar in, in features, it sounds like. That actually sounds really familiar. I'm sure we've got something similar, if not the same over here. Yeah, there, there was quite a few out there. Now, I stuck with this one because, as I said, it was one of the first ones I tried and it was so accessible that I didn't need to look anywhere else. Um, you know, it gave a good description of the houses and um, it had all the features I needed. So that was the first hurdle out of the way, finding a way to see what properties were on the market. That was good. Um, then I went looking for an estate agent. Now that's where it got slightly trickier because it's all about having that that initial click with that person, you know, because it's someone you got to trust. Sure. And it's, it's, you know, it's a big, it's a big commitment. It's almost like getting married, I find. <laughs> choosing the estate agent was actually, uh, I took more consideration than choosing a life partner. Don't tell her that if she's listening. Um, I was so- going to say, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I won't mention that to her. <laughs> but, um, no, so, I, you know, like, like in most places, you'll find there's three or four sort of prominent uh, companies out there that do this, like I say, in, in the UK. It's called estate agents. Um, so, I made appointments with them all. They all came around to see me. Uh, they valued the property that I was in, which was fine. Um, and then I told them what I needed, really, because they got the standard. They tell you how much it's going to cost, you know, their fees and everything. And they tell you what they, they can do for you. Um, but before they came around, I sort of made it clear, look, okay, me and my partner both have um, visual problems. So I'm going to need a little more, little more help. I'm, I'm going to need you to... Uh, maybe sometimes instead of meet me there, if you could pick me up, if you're, you know, because the ones that I were choosing were near where I was living now. So, you know, maybe if you could run me there as an extra part of the service, that would be fantastic. Sort of, you know, you got to be cheeky sometimes, but you never know until you ask. Exactly, yeah. And also, you know, I, I, if we can get properties where we could view without the occupiers there, that would be great. Um, and, you know, just things like that. Um so that was an, it was almost like I was interviewing. Well, I suppose you are. And it was like an interview. Um, that was fine. There were a couple when I mentioned that we were blind. Some of the responses I wasn't happy with. Some kept saying, really? Are you really blind? That old chestnut. Are you, oh, geez, you know? and yeah. it's, it's fine. I can, I can let that go once or twice. But all through the conversation, it kept coming back up. And he thought, you know what? I, I've got other things to think about. I don't want to be dealing with your... Whatever. <laughs> I don't want to be dealing with this as well. This is getting in the way. So did that end up being more of a common experience for, for you and your partner? Or did, did that just kind of seem to be a minority of, of the uh, experience you had with people? To be fair, it was the minority. Uh, I think out oh, of the, the, the four that I... Yeah, the four that I saw, that was, that was one. One was did that at the beginning, but that was it. He mentioned it once or twice and then let it go and it didn't come up again. Um, one particular one, just all throughout every conversation we had, it would come up, the blindness thing would come up again. And not in relationship to anything we were talking about, you know, and it, it just became, you know, it's too much. Um, I think it was more out of just pure curiosity or their concern about you buying or living in the home or just just blatant, just ignorance 
yeah, to be honest, I think it was ignorance. I would love to say it was just that they were curious. I think it was just a case of it made them slightly awkward. And, it, you know, I don't think they could sort of forget about it, if you know what I mean. Um, sure. I don't know. But either way, whatever the reason, it made me slightly... Every time they mentioned it, it was, oh, can we leave that? That's got nothing to do with what I'm talking about at the minute, you know? Right. So, um, But yeah, I, I found one which was fine, and they, they totally understood and didn't make a big deal of it. I suppose that's what it comes down to, not making a big deal of it. You know, we'll deal with whatever extra things that you need. It's not going to be a problem. Obviously, most people are going to say that when they're touting for your business anyway. But, you know, <laughs> right. you get a feel for it and you can always swap it. Well, at least in the UK, if you don't like what they're doing, you can move to another one. So it's not life or death. But I did find one that I, I clicked with and we both liked. So that was you know another hurdle out of the way. Um, and then it came to, OK, so we narrowed down three or four properties that we liked. It's time to go and view. Um, and that is where it starts getting nervous. There was... Um, one or two which were um, new builds. So these were totally empty, no furniture in them, no anything. They were just freshly built houses. So we went to look at these. Now, I always thought this is going to be easier um, because there's no one there. There's no furniture in the way. You can have a real... <laughs> a real feel for the place in every sense of the word because <laughs> right, you can exactly, you can yeah. you know i was stuck to that wall like wallpaper i was feeling it i could get the dimensions of the room you could walk from wall to wall you could actually get a real tactile feel of the house which was fine and in in the other houses where they were occupied and there were people living there so they had all their furniture you know it was a family home when i went there it was far more you couldn't really feel around. Obviously, you couldn't. There was furniture and sofas and ornaments and all the family bric-a-brac was there. So, you know, you didn't want to knock anything off, walking into coffee tables. You'd probably get real nervous trying to touch things and feel for things. And then exactly. you're going to lean over something to say, okay, where's the wall here? And then next thing you know, you're tripping over That's something. That's right. Oh, sorry, I've broken this uh, family <laughs> antique. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, especially if they're still there, if the family's there as well. And you, you've, you've got that feeling like, oh, they, they, they want watching everything I'm doing and it, that makes it, you know, it magnifies everything. Um, so I thought that that was difficult because you can't get a real feel for the space of a room, the, the, the layout of a room other than the furniture. But when, when it actually came to it, both have their positives and negatives because, yes, in the unfurnished new build house, you could have a real good feel and get a feel for the layout of the rooms and uh, how it all felt. I mean, because that is important to me as well. The woodwork, is it smooth or is it full of knots and bumps and the plaster work and the, the light fittings, you know? Are they all new sure. and do they do they feel nice? Because it, <laughs> it's important to me. I know it may sound weird, but it is. It's important to me. Well, but if they feel nice in theory, then maybe they look nice. And that's kind of the way that we have to gauge what the aesthetics are going to be well, exactly. and what other people are going to see. And so, yeah, you want to be able to feel what's the size and shape and, and you know, whether it's smooth or rough, like you said about finding knots or smooth wood. So yeah, you, you have to rely on your hands. I know you have very little functional vision, but you know, with what you've got, it's probably not enough to, to gauge that without touching things. So that makes sense. Exactly. And if it feels all knotty and bumpy and gritty, then you think that's dirty. You know, if it feels smooth, you think, oh, that's clean. I, I, you know, it's just a weird tactile thing, but <laughs> it is whatever your your fetish is for your home. You know, I like it all to be smooth and <laughs> minimalist and whatever. Anyway, that was that. But actually, you don't really get a feel for how the, it, it feels as a home. I mean, this sounds such hippie nonsense, but <laughs> when I went to the actual, what it comes down to, the house I actually bought in the end was a furnished house that the family were in there when we went to view. Um, but as soon as I walked in, it felt homely. It felt nice. It felt cozy. It felt, I don't know, it felt like a home. Uh, and that was before I even, you know, walked the layout of a room or whatever I, in the end I couldn't do that because there was so much furniture in there and in every room that you couldn't actually walk around and feel you know get the layout of the room from that aspect but it was just the feel of the room and when it comes down to it that's what I went off now that's not to say that was solely what I went off uh, I gotta say I did bring uh, my daughters with me on some of them 
uh you know so i did have the sighted assistance and i gotta say when you're doing something like buying a house you cannot beat getting someone getting a pair of eyes in there if you can just for anything obvious that you are gonna miss um you know it, it, it's fine to go off your feelings and how because you do have that spatial awareness when i when i walked into the hallway of this house and it felt big it felt spacious and straight away I thought, oh yeah, I like this. Even though I didn't know the dimensions or the layout of the room, I walked in and it felt large. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense because when you're walking into a home, like you said, it just felt homely and, and comfortable to begin with. But then as you explore it, you do have that spatial awareness. You can you can hear how high the ceiling may be or hear how wide the room might be. And exactly. Even if there is furniture there that's dampening some of that, you can still get a feel for what that what that area is like, even though you may not be able to see it or see it well, and even if there's things in the way. So, so I definitely understand where you're coming from with that. But that's why I wanted to talk with you about this because there is that difference of big empty spaces that you've got to try to navigate versus everything in your way and trying to, to understand or be aware <laughs> of the spaciousness of a room or not. And what, what makes it feel comfortable? What makes it feel like home? And so it's interesting to hear that you say, you know what, I, I felt that right off. And then even as I learned more about it and explored it, it, it even solidified it more. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And in the new builds, I could get a more feel. I knew exactly what the layout of the room were, what the shapes were, which was fine. But I couldn't get a feel for how it felt as a as a home. I, it's really hard to explain it. It's really just a feeling you get as you're walking in and out of the houses. And maybe it's different for each individual person. But that was my personal experience, you know. Um, the unfurnished house was really easy to navigate and, and get a feel for the layout. But it just felt like an empty home. Yeah, And I don't know. I, at the end of the day, it does come down to, in my experience, what I actually went for was the home that felt good it was nothing to do with the layout um it was just it felt nice it felt right and uh, that's why i went off now that's not to say there isn't problems like i said if you can get sighted assistance obviously you've got to do that you're, you're paying so much money it's so expensive this process that you've got to get a pair of eyes in there anyway um now that we bought the house and we moved into the house there were uh, lots of issues that i didn't know <laughs> and you you've got to sort out afterwards uh, maybe would have affected how much you pay for the house, you know, your offer on the house. Um, and they're sort of things that people can take for granted. Central heating was the issue in the house I did buy. Um, it's something I totally overlooked, didn't think about it. Every time I went to the house, it was so warm, um, but it didn't have any central heating. It was a, a, an electric heating system, and the electricity prices over in the UK are so large. Um it's something I overlooked, and it's it, it was a problem that I needed to sort after I moved in. To be fair, a lot of people have said these are things that when you move into a new home, you always find something anyway like this. So I'm not too upset about it. And it's to be honest, I don't think it's so much to do. It's something I probably would have noticed if I was able to see. But then again, I should have checked that anyway. That's just, just down to me not doing all my homework on it you know so that's not really down to the visually impaired although it would have made a difference well i think that's a good piece of advice anyway whether you're blind visually impaired or not to go into this process with a checklist to say here's kind of what we want obviously everybody says well i want two bedrooms or three bedrooms and do i want it to be one floor or two floors or do i want to uh, do I need a shed in my backyard for uh, alternative purposes? You know, what what things are on my checklist of things? But then obviously that what you've learned is I also need to have a checklist of things that I may need to fix, things I may need to install, things that may need upgrading or, or what have you. And so I think whether you're blind or not, it's a good idea to have that checklist, especially more so if you're blind, to make sure that you are checking those things off and, and asking those questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um just do your homework on it and don't be afraid to ask the questions as well. Um, once I got to a certain stage, I, I realized that, you know what, I'm just going to ring someone up and ask them outright rather than, do you think they have this? Do you think they have that? Just don't be worried. You know, it's like I said, look, it's an expensive process. It is a lot of money and hopefully it's something you're not going to do very often. So don't be afraid to ask those questions, even if you think that's stupid. Um, just put it out there. But yeah, that, that whole process actually wasn't as bad as I thought it could be. 
Uh, again, could be the overthinking aspect, but I'm I'm thinking maybe if the first viewing I went to didn't go great, if someone, you know, if the person that lived there was there while I was viewing and they were slightly nervous or, you know, slightly awkward feeling about a blind person looking around their home, maybe that would have put me off the entire process. But as it happened, it was all fine. You know, I, I didn't have an issue. Um and also the, the legal process as well. I was slightly concerned about obviously a lot of paperwork and you know mortgages and all the legal things. But that was probably the easiest of the lot. Um, I did most of it over the phone, um, apart from the odd bits where I had to go into the, you know, either the bank or the solicitors to sign documents. Everything else was just done through phone calls, emails, and it, it was really easy. So now that you and your partner have gone through this process, which I know took quite a while, I know you and I talked about it on and off <laughs> so much. It was just you know drama of the week trying to figure out what was going to happen next to you, poor guys. Um, what would you say if there was any one or two things that you've learned the most out of this process? Or what what is the takeaway from this process as a blind person moving into a new home? Well, the, the most important thing I think is that it's not as difficult as you think it will be. Um, just the very fact is, how am I going to look around a home? It's really hard to, you know, if you, until you've done it, it's really hard to think, how am I going to do that? This is going to be so awkward. I'm going to be bumping into things and knocking things off, or I'm just going to sit in the middle, stand in the middle of a room and not really get a feel for it. Um, actually, it's not so bad. It isn't that bad. People are very accommodating. You know, I had one one couple that that moved their sofa out of the way, and oh, wow. <laughs> they moved their furniture around me as I was going. So you know, people are <laughs> as 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 you find generally, people are, are generally good. You know, they they are nice. They are um, they're fine. So most of the time, don't overthink it. Don't get so anxious. As long as you get. The estate agent does make a difference. You know, as long as you feel confident and comfortable with your realtor or estate agent, then that's half of the battle because you don't feel afraid to ask them questions to say, okay, look, I'm a little bit anxious about this one. Can we arrange a viewing when they're not in, you know, or can you have a word with them? Whatever way you want to do it. Just anything to relieve that stress because, um, you know, it is important that you get a feel for that house, be that an actual tactile feel or just how you feel when you walk into the house. Um, it is important. And as you said, Tim, secondly, I think most importantly is, is do get that checklist going. Not just, okay, I want a garage. I want a, a nice back garden. You know, I want so many bedrooms. But the things that you may not think about, ask your estate agent, you know, is there anything I'm overlooking here? Ask the solicitor. Um, things like the heating, the, the energy bills, um, anything like that. It is important. When was it last rewired? You know, it, it is important stuff that can cost a significant amount of money if you overlook them, like I did, and then you move in and you've got to do it, you know, you've got to sort it out after you're in. It can add a lot of extra money to your uh, to your budget. So something to be aware of. But i got to say, generally, I was, um, yeah, I was happy with the experience. You have got to be confident enough to to say what you want and to say, look, I really want to see this place you know, without anyone in there. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, I have to say one of the things I was most impressed with is when you did move into the house, you said, I don't care how far away the shed is from the house. I'm putting Wi-Fi in it. So there. So that <laughs> <laughs> that, that that I thought was a true a true uh, testament to the whole process. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I've got to get internet here. As, uh, to be honest, that was like my primary question. <laughs> like I'm just gonna live out here, yes. <laughs> yes, as soon as I as soon as I got in there, okay, what's the internet like in this place? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We have, we have priorities, that's the top of the list. Exactly. That's that's the man priority. What's the internet like? Um right. funnily enough, the house I did choose had terrible internet. <laughs> it was down for ages, but I finally got that sorted out. Um but yeah, that that is a weird priority that <laughs> that I had. As a side plug for uh, Tech Talk and uh, Double Tap that we both are on together, 
so thankfully with Stephen Scott. Uh, people can check out past episodes of those to get more of that backstory about Sean's experiences with uh, Wi-Fi and uh, getting <laughs> getting the internet up and going in the home. So yeah, check out those episodes of those shows to hear more of that backstory. But uh, from that, Sean, I want to thank you so much for coming on Life After Blindness and, and talking to me through this because it, it just, when we first started talking about it, it was just fascinating because I've tried searching for different homes and apartments and things. And, and thankfully I, I had some sighted people around me like you did that could help, but it is, you know, potentially an issue. And, and as you said, it's not as scary as it, as it could be or should be. Um, but I'm glad that, that we could talk through that process and maybe some, you know, help somebody out there to, uh, to realize, Hey, you, you can do this. Just ask questions and, and make it happen. So thank you so much for coming on and, uh, I appreciate it. No problem, Tim. Thank you. I want to take a moment to thank all of you who took the time after last week's episode to send me an email about the newest segment to Life After Blindness called Tim's Tech Tips, or T3 for short. I really appreciate all of your kind words, and hopefully I'll be able to continue providing this segment to you and help you to learn new things about technology or the tech that we use each and every day. So without further ado, here's the next installment of Tim's Tech Tips, T3 for short. T3 initiated. The Microsoft Seeing AI app for iOS has taken the blind and visually impaired community by storm, giving us access to so many different tools like scanning full page documents or short bits of text, barcodes on various products, currency, and so much more right in the palm of our hands. Seeing AI offers so many different tools that some might find it cumbersome to go into the app and find the particular tool that you're looking for. Well, Microsoft has thought of that. By using the 3D touch feature on the iPhone, versions 6S and above, you can access your favorite features of Seeing AI. To do this, find the Seeing AI app on your home screen. Press and hold into the screen for just a second or two, and then a new screen will pop up. This will give you the option to share the app with others. And as you swipe right, you'll find the four default favorites that Microsoft has placed there. Double tap on any one of these and the app will automatically launch to the particular channel that you chose. It is possible to customize what's seen when you use 3D Touch on the app. Launch the app and double tap on Menu. Swipe right until you hear Settings. And then once you're in the Settings area, go to Configure 3D Touch Shortcuts. In that area, you'll find two different sections. The top section lists the Seeing AI channels that are currently available when you use 3D Touch. The bottom section is a list of the remaining channels that you can add, remove, or even reorder to include when you use 3D Touch. Once you've added, removed, and reordered these channels to how you like them, go ahead and back out of the settings menu. And next time you use 3D Touch, you'll be able to jump straight to one of your favorite chosen channels in Microsoft Seeing AI. That will conclude episode number 24 of the Life After Blindness podcast. I want to thank my guests again, Maria Johnson and Sean Priest. I really appreciate them being here this week and helping me out. Maria will be back again next week to talk with me about more news items going on in the blind and visually impaired community. I also want to thank Pierre once again for sending in his Because of My Blindness story. And of course, I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Life After Blindness. As always, you can send an email to me. Send those to tim at lifeafterblindness.com. And you can find the show notes by visiting lifeafterblindness.com slash 24. Please join me again next time as we continue our journey together to find that there truly can be a life after blindness. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.